your Bibles to Acts 20, and we're putting them to work right away. So, take it away, Rick. <clears throat> yeah, thank you, Daniel. Yeah, it's so good news for me. I'm so excited to be able to double the amount of time I get to spend uh, working with you all and leading and preparing to teach. And I, I really believe that um, God has a new chapter for us, not, not because of the change with me as much as with just simply moving forward, what it looks like for us to be the church we are. God is always at work. Uh, Jesus is always building his church, and the activity is always present. And I think we're learning more and more how to step into that activity, how to be a part of what God is doing, to listen to the Spirit better, and to just really see what's ahead. And so I'm excited to be able to be more deeply invested. So grateful for that, for sure. So yes, we are going to be in Acts chapter 20 today. We're going to cover the whole chapter, and it's quite large, 38 verses. I'm not going to read it uh, up front, but we'll actually work through the passage similarly to what Daniel did two weeks ago uh, when he wrapped up the second part of chapter 19. I am going to share quite a bit with you. Uh, I won't go long, but there's a lot of content, and I encourage you this morning to take some notes because I want to share with you a list of things that I think could be equipping to you in the current context that we're in. And so you might want to be able to write down a couple of thoughts as we go along. So Acts chapter 20. Um, yeah, I'm going to pray real quick. Holy, Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sharing with us your heart and your mind. We thank you for all of the writers that you inspired to be in step with your spirit and to communicate stories um, in which you were at work. We thank you for the stories we read in Acts, that they are the foundation of the church, that we are a church together. And so they are our history. And we thank you for the way they inspire, the way that they inform, and the way that they equip. And we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, equip the church at Sherwood called Colossae, to continue to follow you, to continue to be built by you, that we together might be in step with your Holy Spirit and able to practice the will of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. So I want to get us running into chapter 20 by reminding you of something that comes out of chapter 19 of the book of Acts. Chapter 20 is a huge transition. There's a big movement that's going to happen in the life and ministry of Paul and all of his companions, and for that matter, in the churches that have been established so far. But I want to remind you back in Acts chapter 19, uh, three verses, 20, 21, and 22, <clears throat> Luke records this. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This is in response to what happened in Ephesus, when uh, there was that night where everyone brought all of their sorcery manuals and their books on witchcraft, and they burned them. And there was this great um, leaving of idolatry and of witchcraft and a moving toward the way of Jesus and following after Jesus and embracing the gospel message that Jesus is the Messiah. <clears throat> after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. Paul decided to go to Jerusalem passing through Macedonia and Achaia. And then he says this, after I have been there, I must visit Rome also. 
And now for the first time, we find out Paul already knows, the Holy Spirit has already let Paul know what the next significant chapter in his life will be. Paul has been able to fulfill God's will for him. He was told from the very beginning when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus that Jesus had a a plan for the rest of his life, that he had jobs for him to do. And the central job, the primary job, was to take the truth about Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, to all non-Jews. And so Paul has now gone with, with a bunch of companions on three separate journeys, and he's gone to, into Asia, and he's gone into kind of what was the full extent of the hub of the known world at the time. He has gone to major centers, and they've moved the center of the church from Jerusalem, expanded it to Antioch, in the north, and then way in the west to Ephesus. So Paul has been a part of helping establish these church centers. And then out of those centers, churches have been planted all over Greece, all over Asia Minor, and all over kind of the existing known world, at least centrally speaking. And so Paul has really done this work. And we've seen several episodes now where people have talked about the entire area coming to hear about Jesus Christ that many, many people believe. And so now there's a new chapter coming in Paul's life. And this chapter will be where Paul will not only be taking the gospel to the masses, but for the rest of his life, he's going to be taking the gospel to leadership, to kings and to emperors and to governors. And he's going to be speaking to humans on a whole new level of leadership now for the rest of his life. And he'll do that briefly in Jerusalem, where he'll confront the leadership of uh, the Jews and of their politics and of their uh, the following of Judaism. And then from there, he'll journey on to Rome, where he will eventually see people in Caesar's own household come to Jesus Christ through his ministry. Now, that's the central truth of this passage. But today, I'm going to teach what I would consider a somewhat secondary truth. Still very powerful, but I feel it's exceptionally relevant to all of you. And ex- it's exceptionally relevant to the time that we are in right now. As I said, for Paul, this is a time of transition. It's a massive transition. Think of it as the bridge behind me, that Paul has been on this hill over here, and he's been sharing the gospel as broadly as he possibly can. And now the Holy Spirit has given him a vision of a new place to go. It's it's across the water. It's a place of taking the gospel to the highest levels of human leadership. And it's going to be a transition. It's a change. He has a bridge to cross to go from speaking to the masses and traveling widely to speaking very specifically to governors and to kings in high places. But what to me is so beautiful, and I couldn't get away from it as I was praying through the passage this week, is Paul masterfully shepherds the people of God through this transition. There's multiple things that we see him do in Acts 20 that are so wise, so brilliant, so uh, full of love. And I believe that this is, we are in massive transitions right now. We've been in this transition. We're kind of on the bridge between life as we knew it and things as, quote, normal and a future. And a future, and we're not even sure what it looks like. It's far off in the distance. Our new normal is, is yet to come. And not only is there this, this wide change for us in daily lifestyle, but many of you right now are in transitions. We're transitioning to summer. 
And that's going to mean a new set of activities. That's going to mean vacations. It's going to mean the ending of school. Some of you are transitioning into new experiences that are, are quite different. Consuela and uh, Karina and Alicia are all transitioning to their internships in other parts of the country. So big changes happening there. We're also transitioning to uh, a new way to do school. We're not even sure if schools will gather in the fall. So are we going to be homeschooling again? What's going to happen? All that to say that every one of you is a part of multiple transitions, big and small. And every one of you has some degree of influence that you can share in that transition. And so today I want to just briefly look through the wisdom and the good work of the Apostle Paul in this transition in his life and ministry and see the wise things that he does in order to love the people well. If there was a title for this message, I would call it Love in Transition. Not that love is transitioning, but in the midst of transition, how do we love well? So let's dive into chapter 20. Luke writes, when the uproar at Ephesus had ended, Remember, this was that giant riot, 25,000 people in the stadium shouting for two hours, Artemis, or Artemis of the Ephesians. This has ended. <clears throat> Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed there three months. So Paul, in this, as this passage begins, is once again back in Ephesus. <clears throat> he's in kind of this hub of the Western church, and he's now going to uh, go back through the places that he's been and revisit the churches where he's been. So he heads west to Macedonia. He doesn't cross the sea, but he goes north and visits the churches where he's been. But there's one word that occurs twice in the passage I just read, and that's the word encouragement. It says that he traveled through this area speaking many words of encouragement. In Paul's wisdom and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the theme you're going to see through the whole chapter here is encouragement wherever he goes. Transition is always unsettling in one way or another. Transition can be disorienting. How many of you have felt disoriented in the last couple of months, maybe even on a daily basis, but at least a few times, right? I'm just completely disoriented. And in that time, Paul consistently brings encouragement. And I would say that this is definitely a season where God's people should really hone their skills in the area of encouragement. And I'm not talking about spin, and I'm not talking about some kind of Pollyanna perspective, but to really be in touch with what is good right now and what has recently been good and how can we give courage to one another by remembering those things and focusing on those things. So transition is always a season where encouragement should come to the forefront. Let's go on. <clears throat> In the next verse it says, because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. So Paul uh, has been traveling. He's gone back west to Corinth and to Macedonia and that area. And now he wants to head, begin to head towards Jerusalem. The natural thing to do would be to take a boat out of the, uh, <clears throat> the harbor there near Corinth and to just go across to Syria. But instead he finds out that there's uh, a plot to give him trouble. As you know, there were many times, uh, many people were trying to kill Paul. He hears about it and he goes another way. And what I see here when it comes to transition in difficult times, 
<clears throat> we need to be particularly discerning of what are the pitfalls in the transition I'm going through right now. Because of the disorientation, it actually can be quite easy to um, not think things through, to not be thoughtful, and to not be strategic, but instead to almost become passive and follow behind instead of lead in front of a transition. But instead, Paul stays mindful, he stays in prayer, he stays thoughtful, and he discerns that he needs to go another way because something dangerous is ahead. In verse 4, <clears throat> Paul was accompanied by Sopater, son of Py uh, Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Tryphonus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Paul has collected quite the team. If you look at the history of each of these men, and some of them are pairs of men, they come from the major cities that he went to. They come from Ephesus and Troas and Thessalonica. Timothy is from Lystra. Gaius is from Derby. And what, what Paul has been doing is he's been preparing other people to receive the responsibilities that have been his in the transition. So Paul is working very hard to delegate his responsibilities. This is the third action that Paul takes in transition is delegating responsibilities. It's easy sometimes in a transition to be so focused on where I'm going next that we can kind of carelessly walk away from where we've been. And we can forget that when we move on from where we are, we might leave some holes. And have we thought through who can take over the things that I've been doing? Who can I leave these responsibilities to? And so Paul's been working at this the whole time that he's been in ministry, gathering these other leaders. We know that in every city they started churches, and in every church they raised up elders, and they raised up leadership. So again, in transition, how are we leaving what we're leaving well, are we leaving others to take over the responsibilities that we had? <clears throat> Let's move on. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. I keep asking the Holy Spirit, why is that sentence in there? I have no idea. Bottom line, the room was bright. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Have you ever been a part of a gathering like this? I know for sure Rebecca has in Romania, Romanian churches. Uh, I've even heard about Romanian weddings where uh, the Romanian wedding is a time where all the non-preachers get to preach and uncles and fathers and everybody gets to have a say and they'll have multiple people line up uh, to preach at a wedding. And so sometimes a wedding can take maybe, yeah, Rebecca's giving me a thumbs up, can take a few hours because everybody has something to say. And here's Paul. It's his last chance to preach to his friends in Ephesus. And so he is preaching all night long. And this poor young man, this is on a Monday or this is on a Sunday. So they will have gone back to work this day. And he probably had a hard day at work. And here he is falling asleep. When he was sound asleep, this is again, verse nine. He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. 
Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Such a bizarre story, and it goes by so fast. But the third story window, he's probably leaning with his back against the uh, the window frame, falls asleep, slumps, and falls three stories and dies. They pick him up dead. What a terrible way to uh, remember this transition. If that had been the end of Eutychus's story, what a spoiler to Paul's all night long preaching that would have been for sure. But Paul, full of the Holy Spirit and out of compassion, and I'm sure out of a request to God, God, don't let this be the way I end Ephesus, please. Instead, turns what looked like a horrible liability into a tremendous asset. And actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul embraces him, prays life back into him. He comes back to life, and the story ends well. Now, I'm not suggesting that you ought to raise people from the dead when you're making a transition, although it would really make the story good, and your transition would be remembered forever. But I do believe that in a transition, it's often a time to take something that does look like a liability that's going to make the transition difficult or perhaps negatively remembered or experienced. And is it possible in some way to, through God's wisdom and through the power of the Holy Spirit, to actually turn an asset into a, a liability into an asset? Is there even some work of grace or goodness that we could do in a transition? Again, a lot of times we move sometimes quickly from where we are to where we want to go because we're anticipating that we want to get there. But uh, Paul is showing us to transition well, we take our time. To transition well, we, we make sure that we're thorough. I read earlier that he spent three months uh, up in Macedonia, again, just being thorough. And here Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit, takes the time to bring the grace of God and the power of God into that transitional moment. So how can we, as we transition, actually leave behind significant blessing, significant power, uh, significant grace of God in the transition that we're making. Let's go on to verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed from Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. We had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Medellin. The next day we set sail for there and arrived in Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and then the following day, we arrived in Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. And here I would say that Paul is modeling for us that sometimes in a transition, we have to make significant sacrifices. There's this balance between taking the time that we need to transition well, but also keeping the story moving forward. Transitions are movement, and they need to move to their destination. And sometimes we have to make strategic sacrifices. Why was this a sacrifice? Paul spent three years at one time in the city of Ephesus. He poured himself into hundreds, even thousands of people. Even uh, Artemis said that Paul has filled the whole province of Asia with his teaching when he was located here in Ephesus. So he's got a deep love for these people. We hear Paul writing 
you have many teachers, but not many fathers. And I hope I've been a father to you all. And that certainly would have been true here in the city of Ephesus, that he was a father to this city. And he knew that if he were to go there, he would end up being there a very long time and perhaps even have been a distraction to the work. There were others who had been put in place to be elders and to be leaders and perhaps his going there. And I've seen this happen. You have too, perhaps, when a leader is transitioning from one place to another, but they have so enjoyed the attention of where they've been and the new person has already come to lead and that transitioning leader kind of comes back and kind of maybe almost steals the momentum of that new place and almost kind of reminds everybody that they're going to be gone and that they're going to be missed. And that can really mean a lot to the leader. It can be super encouraging to go back and be told again how much you're loved, uh, how much you're going to be missed, how wonderful you are. But Paul knew this is going to be a distraction to the Ephesian church, and it's also going to slow me down. I really do need to get to Jerusalem. And so he goes to this port city, Miletus, which is a uh, several miles south of Ephesus. It's another port city. And then from there, he calls the elders, hey, I want you to come down here to see me. I want to say goodbye, but I don't want to come to Ephesus. I don't want to be a distraction, and I don't want to be slowed down from what God is calling me to do. And then in verse 22, Luke writes, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of the grace of God. Here, Paul is modeling for us to be faithful to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Right now, there are a lot of voices that are speaking into our lives. There are voices of leaders, political leaders, spiritual leaders, psychological leaders, medical leaders. There are voices of friends and family, social media. So many different stories are being told and so many different responses to what is going on is presented to us every day. But Paul is taking care to listen specifically to one voice above all the other voices and that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying in this moment? Just to give you a sample of that, I think I've mentioned this before to some of you, but I'll say it to all of you. I really believe that God is strategically working right now in pairing together and working through these two events that have been piled on top of each other, COVID-19 and then this social justice, racial reconciliation issue we would have not received this social justice issue, this care, especially for black brothers and sisters, in the way that we have, were it not for the COVID experience 60 days beforehand. In a way, the whole earth kind of took a Sabbath and became more quiet and began to pay more attention and began to look around and see what's happening and what's going on. And in the middle of this medical crisis, there comes this social crisis, this relational crisis, which is not new, but it comes to the surface again. And I don't believe that, especially the church, could have been prepared any better than it is right now to really step into this issue. So it's wonderful to see how many are taking it seriously, how many are listening and they're praying and they're listening, especially to black voices right now, to really hear well the story that we've only heard in bits and part, bits and pieces, especially to listen to black church leaders who can tell us uh, 
in the language of the kingdom of God and, and, and can it appeal to us as brothers and sisters right now. So the Holy Spirit is speaking on this issue, and I believe that the world is going to respond okay, but not powerfully, and it's a time for the church to respond well, the church to step into this issue and to lead the way. So we want to always be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among, sorry, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise to distort the truth. In order to draw away disciples after themselves. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you night and day and with tears. Here, Paul in this transition is wanting to give a formal commissioning to new leadership. First of all, behind the scenes, he's prepared people. And then over time, he's allowed them to be a part of the story, to teach, to preach, to pastor, to shepherd. And now he's making this kind of formal commission. Again, in a transition, it can be really healthy to make these kind of formal declarations of what's happening. I don't know if you've been a part, I'm sad to say, I'm sure you've been a part of situations where there really wasn't a lot of communication forthcoming in a transition. Sometimes we didn't even know. You can sense later, wow, there was a lot going on behind the scenes, and obviously this has been going on for a while. And then we don't get the news until the story has long been developing. And isn't it so much better to know the story as it's happening? And that's something I would add here, especially in the church. I think it's important even for you to be communicating to people uh, who are affected by your transition. One of the hardest things for me as a pastor sometimes has been when a family all of a sudden isn't showing up anymore. And I find out that there's been a transition going on for months and, and, no, and no one would knew about it, not the community group, not leadership. And, and that's been one of the greatest burdens in my work as a pastor is to not be a brought into a transition but to just kind of have the transition dropped in my lap deep into the story and not even formally, but to find out about the transition from someone else. Uh, I believe it's so much more loving if we include everyone that's affected by the transition in the transition. We let people know as it's happening and we include them in the process and we allow them to love us well and we love them well in a transition. And there needs to be times like this where there's kind of this formal transition. I would love if a family was moving on from our church to another church to actually have kind of a formal sending at some point, you know, to be kept in the loop on the transition. And then when the time comes to formally say, this is good news, we're a part of it. The choice you're making is a good choice. You listen to the Holy Spirit, you're obeying God, and we know that what you're moving to is a good thing, and we want to actually celebrate it and affirm it. Ah, that would be such an amazing way to say goodbye to a family and to say it together. And I, I really believe that we're missing out on a process of healing, a process of celebration, a process of loving each other well by transitioning well, paying attention to the steps of the transition, 
and, and taking these kinds of formal times. As I'm studying through this passage, I'm thinking of my daughter, Anna. Tricia and I are going to be heading down to Southern California in a couple of weeks right before the 4th of July. And we are actually going to pick Anna up after a couple of days of, of vacation and bring her back. She's ready to come back and be a part of the vote uh, homestead once again. Uh, she's ready to move on into the next chapter of her life. And I'm thinking about all of these things that Paul did and say, how can I as Anna's father and as friend to Anna's friends help her transition well and do some of these things? Is there some way that I can help her hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, um, help her discern what might go wrong, even help her kind of have formal statements, perhaps to an employer or to her friends about the transition and really help it go well, celebrate it. Two more things, two more ideas about transition. Verse 32, Paul says, now I commit, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We could say a lot of things about this. I think there's a central lesson in here about the nature of giving over the nature of receiving. I'm not going to step into that right now. I just want to say that one of the things that Paul is doing here is he's leaving everything kind of on the field, to use that athletic metaphor. He's leaving it all on the field. He's clarifying how he has worked for those that he loves where he's been, and he's not holding anything back, and he's leaving it all on the field. Again, I believe if we're going to transition well, before we move across the bridge to that new destination, have we left it all on the field in the place that we're transitioning from? Have we really given it all that we can? And before we move on, is there something more we could give before we go? It's a question I want to ask Anna while we're down there and saying, hey, before we hop in the van and we drive back to the Northwest, is there something more you could leave behind? Is there one last thing you could do to really leave it all here? to give your best to those people who, whose lives you've been a part of. And then finally, and I think this is a big one, no matter what the transition or how big or small, verse 36, Luke writes, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was the statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And this, I think, is the biggest one. And I, again, no matter how big or small a transition, let the emotions come. I know that for so many of us in this day and age, we feel like it's embarrassing to be emotional. It's embarrassing to cry. It's easier to just move on. But if you just move on, the emotions don't just move on. <laughs> and they squeak out in other ways and in other times and places. And how much better to experience the emotions of a, of a situation with everyone involved while you're still there. How good to admit to one another, I'm going to miss you. This is really hard. It's, it's sad to see you go. Or even if we're not leaving a group of people to say, what we've been doing has been wonderful and now it's time to do something else. But let's just, that was great, wasn't it? And we can be sad about it and we can cry about it and we can hug each other eventually. 
about it and process the emotions of the moment. And again, haven't you, I'm sure I have gone through so many transitions with people coming and going where there wasn't really an opportunity to to experience the emotions and to just admit together, hey, this is hard, this is sad. There's health in that. I think this is the one place above all others where we don't do closure well and we don't do emotional closure well. And to be honest, friends, if we're going to do it well, we have to give space for it. Uh, Last week, I got to have uh, lunch with Peter Jenkins. Peter and I have been talking about having lunch for weeks. Uh, And it was so good to, to see him again. And Peter and I have both moved on from churches in the past and found ourselves kind of forgotten uh, by the church that we were at. And I get it. I'm, I know that when I was, when people have left churches that I've been a part of on staff, it's easy to move on and to forget them because they're not present anymore. But Peter and I had a commitment to stay, to make sure our friendship was bigger than our roles within the church. And it was so amazing to see each other again. And Peter asked me for permission. Uh, he said, hey, can I give you a bear hug? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So right there in the middle of Sherwood in Cannery Row, we hugged each other. We violated the law. It was awesome. But it was so good. And we sat down to lunch and he caught me up on the stories of his new job, which is so good and such a contrasting experience to the last job that he had. He's just, he's content. He's grateful. His family is in a great space. Alicia's continue, Alicia's continue to work for the school. She enjoys her job. The kids are doing well. They just had some birthday experiences, a birthday parade. And it was so good to keep processing the emotion of that relationship and that transition and not just leave it behind. So real quick, just to make sure you caught it all, and I'll send you this outline after today. But there's 10 things here that Paul models in transition. And this is how he transitions in love. He consistently speaks encouragement. He discerns difficulties. He's not mindless. He's not not paying attention, but he discerns difficulties. He delegates responsibilities. He makes sure that the things that he is leaving behind, he's leaving in good hands. He delegates responsibilities. Fourthly, he deposits grace. Uh, Wherever it's possible, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he still is continuing to do good, miraculous things before he goes. He hasn't stopped being this gracious man of God. Fifth, he makes strategic sacrifices. There might be some things that we really want to do that in a transition we maybe just shouldn't do, even though it might be a loss to us. He confirms accomplishments. He goes through and reminds everyone of the story of his ministry so that it can be celebrated, so that in the sadness of the moment, there's a celebration of the goodness of God that's come before. Next, he listens to the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit is the primary and the leading voice in his journey. Before he goes, he commissions commissions leadership formally and says to people in front of everyone, these are your leaders. Uh, These people are in charge now. I affirm them. I, I pass on my mantle of leadership to them. He leaves it on the field. He doesn't run away too quickly and just wants to get out and get on with things. But he says, if there anything more that I can leave before I go, how can I leave it on the field? And then lastly, he makes sure that they process the emotions together. He wept and he cried with the people from Ephesus that he loved. This is transition in love. And again, um, big or small, whatever transitions you're in front of, 
I would encourage you, and you may not need to grab all 10 of these things and make sure you go through and do each one, but are there one or two ideas here that you could incorporate into the transitions you're making, even as you transition to summer uh, and, and the new events that are going to happen? It might be good to help especially kids who have ended school year awkwardly some some of you homeschool just kept going no changes that's great some of you it ended awkwardly and i know they had got to cry with teachers maybe on zoom or maybe their teachers dropped by but how do you help your kids come full circle and fully healthily transition from that school year into the, the summer and as we move ahead um, i'm going to ask our staff to think through god what is ahead how are we going to transition? It's, it's possible that we may never meet in the community center again. I think God may be opening new doors to new places for us. And so what will it be like for us to transition well from that place we were used to? And if we regather and it's never at the community center, that's going to be a weird transition. And we want to fully process it. We want to celebrate what happened. Uh, we want to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. We want to avoid problems that could occur in the transition. So we need to carry these ideas with us moving forward. I think there's a lot of work to do. And we want to do it well. We want to transition in love. Let me pray for you, and then uh, we can respond in worship. Father, we praise you for um, the Apostle Paul. We thank you that so much of his ministry and even his heart and mind were written down. Uh, we thank you for the model as he modeled Christ. Uh, we can model after Paul. God, I just I imagine we could walk through the transitions Jesus made in that last week of his life and see that he did all of these same things. And so we ask you, God, equip us in the people that we are leading and loving and in whose lives we are invested to help all of us transition well together, to make healthy transitions from one place to another. Thank you for the wisdom. Show us what we need. Uh, Jesus, we love you now, and we just turn our hearts and our minds to you. Help us, Holy Spirit, worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.